Good day to all and welcome to the Friendship News Hour. Today is June the 14th, 2021. My name is Frank Huerta. This is Alex Kenzie. Hello, sir. Fantastic to be back with you. We are back, man. How are you? How was your trip? I'm good. It was great. It was great. Um, You're on the road for what, 12 days? Yeah, something like that, man. I can't can't remember. Towards the last leg of, of my trip, I texted my sister happy birthday, and her birthday was a month before that date. And so <laughs> that is when I knew I needed to go home and sleep. <laughs> um, I was just on autopilot. I saw I saw a, uh, a notification of somebody's birthday who had my sister's same name, and I just... Oh, I got to text her for happy birthday, not even realizing the date. But yeah, I was gone. I was gone for like 12 days. I was in Mexico for, for five, six days, came back late last Tuesday night, um, got into the United States probably around like 9.15, um, got back home around 9.30, woke up the next morning and had to get on a flight to the Bay Area like 6.40 for work. Yeah. So just bang, bang, bang. But it was Mm -hmm. a lot of fun, man. Um, Mexico was the greatest, dude. It was so cool to see um, the Mexican countryside and every every place down there, people, how they live, how easy living really is, man. Yeah. Um, It it made me realize how sanitized of a nation we are Hmm. Um, and like almost every aspect of like our culture and you know what we allow and don't allow and whether it be for good reasons or not i mean i saw an eight-year-old kid driving an expedition up this country road and the next day he was like racing a horse down that same road um with like full confidence of everybody involved you know like just things like that were um super neat to see completely undeveloped land we're we have a family ranch down in Puebla, Mexico, and mm. um, throughout this whole property, there's like natural springs just coming up from the rocks. You could just go like 30 different spots throughout this whole land, and there's water gushing out of rocks. It's been doing that for 100 years. Wow. You just go and cup your hands and drink water. It's it's incredible, man. It's like a really really super huh. undeveloped area, um, and probably won't ever be developed I, I can't see a reason why some rural part of mexico like that would ever become whatever we do in the united states i was gonna say so like do you, are they farmers or like what do they yeah. do yeah basically yeah. i mean like if you, you you have your land you have a house and you have your plot that you grow corn or beans or whatever you know like and it's and, and basically you just do that to sell to the local markets and get whatever money you can. And, but you know, people are just working to live. And I think when you hear something like that, you're like, Oh yeah, that's, that sounds tough, but they've got everything that they will ever need. And they certainly are not preoccupied with half the things that we find important here that we think are important here. You know, it's Mm -hmm. down there. It's all about family. Um, they're, you know, super big religious, super big Catholic population. So God is like number one, family number two, and then food. And they fed the shit out of us. <laughs> what was the best thing you Dude, had? Was, um, what was the best thing I had? Probably this thing called, they're called mixiotes. M-I-X-T-I-O-S, mixiotes. <laughs> I thought you were going to say M-I-X-I-O-T-E-S. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> But they're little, um, they're like little bag, parchment paper bags. And this, this guy that cooked them used, um, used a lamb and they mm. take, they take lamb, usually like the chop or whatever, or like whatever the, the tough parts are of the lamb. They put this like chili rub on it, wrap it in parchment paper, tie it at the top and then like steam it. And so after a few hours you open it up and it's just like a freaking little meat present. That's Damn. so good. Yeah, it was delicious. But everything we ate, man, was like home cooked right there. I mean, you learned real quickly that as soon as you stepped into the kitchen, um, 
you better be prepared with like a fucking shield because they're going to try and force a meal down your throat. It's ridiculous, <laughs> man. Like legitimately could not go two hours without eating. Any kind of language barrier there with the family or like yeah, a little bit. English? I mean, yeah. I had a cousin who spoke full English, so that, that helped. And we got along with the Spanish pretty well. I mean, we could, we understood most of what people were saying and we could communicate here and there bits and pieces. And if I needed my dad or my cousin to translate, it was fine. Mm-hmm. But, um, but I think the coolest part was that like with each person I met, everybody was, I was related to there and my family's had this house for generations going back like 70, 80 years, maybe even longer than that. And with everybody that I met, it was like the realization that like, these are like my actual roots, you know, like this is Mm -hmm. where I come from without these people. Like I don't exist. And I've never, I've been down there when I was a kid, but I don't remember it. So to me, it, it was just a place where my family had property, but being there and seeing these people and interacting with them, hearing stories about my grandma and how much of a badass she was and hmm. moving away from this town when she was real little to go live with her aunt and was renting a place above a gas station where my grandpa was working. They met, fell in love, went to the States and had kids. And, you know, there's a story of me, but it, it was when you're down there and you see it, it's it's, it's way crazier, man. It's way, way more rich of an experience. And right. So it wasn't like your dad was born there and left like your grandma came to America. My grandma. Yeah. So here, check this out, man. So it's a little town called Nana Camila and it's about two hours North East of the city of Puebla. And in this part of that country, and I don't know, this might happen all over Mexico, but if you have a little girl who's like 13, 14, 15 years old, she could be just walking to school and some old dude, 40, 50 year old dude could come swoop her right up pluck her flower and that's his wife that's how this shit happens bro they just what kidnap the, the girls take their virginity wow. and now they're stuck with that guy for life <laughs> and there's not much you can do about it that's just how shit rolls and so my grandma knew this she knew this was like a reality and i guess she had seen it happen like one of her sisters or cousins or somebody that she knew and she was like yeah i don't want any part of this shit and her dad her dad was a player so like my grandma's dad my dad's grandfather, I guess he had two different families. Um, my grandma's one family and then he left my grandma's mom for some other rich lady, married her and had a completely different other family, whatever. And he was a player dude. And, and, uh, Hmm. one of the best pieces of advice is that I got that this weekend were, was, uh, if the women want to love me, then I let them love me. It's not my fault. Um, (laughs) Apparently that was his excuse or whatever. But anyway, (laughs) she, she went to her dad and was like, look, I'm hell or high water. I'm leaving here. So either you help me or I go and I get the money somehow. So he gave her money. She made her way up to, to Tijuana with her aunt. Mm. Fell with my grandpa. They moved to the States, miraculously got to the States, got citizenship, had my dad. And then, you know, and there's me. So it was cool to trace those roots, man. It's not a whole lot of people have that crazy rich history somewhere else. And if you do, and you've experienced that, you, you know how special of an experience that is. Um, so it was really neat, man. It was a That's really, awesome. really cool time. I cannot wait to go back. I was going to say, yeah, you got to do that more often than, you know, now that you've, you know what it is and stuff, got to make sure you do that like once a year or once every couple of years or something. Yeah, for sure. And it's crazy, man, because we, you know, we talk a lot about, uh, you know, freedom in in this country and there's a lot of it, but in some respects, the people living down there are like a thousand times more free than we'll ever be, you know, just because like I, I, like I said in the beginning, we're really sanitized. We have a lot of regulations, a lot of rules, a lot of laws that, you know, because of one tragic thing happening now, nobody can do this one thing because of the risk of somebody getting hurt. Like, you know, you'll see, a, tr- a truck bed full of a family just driving down the street. You know what I'm saying? Or somebody just opening up a store in the front of their house or somebody, mm-hmm. you know, pretty much doing whatever. Now, don't get me wrong. It's not all good, man. It's dirty down there. They're very poor. They have the bare minimum, but you know, happy. It, I, who am I to say that I'm happier because of my right relative wealth compared to what they have you know it's is the cartel something they have to worry about where they no live? actually it's one of the safest parts of all of mexico so that 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 doesn't really sneak into that area very much cool um but yeah man very cool the city of puebla is very cool very old ancient city um 
majestic cathedrals just like oh yeah you walk in there and you're just like oh my god like when did we stop doing this because this is incredible i mean every like we walked in this cathedral and there's a main altar right in the front and surrounding that altar is a big giant like rectangular square walkway and on Mm -hmm. each side of the walls are like on this side are six different altars and this side are six different altars that go into the wall like that. So there's altars here, walkway, altars all on the side, big giant altars that reach all the way up to the, like, you know, 30 foot ceilings, paintings everywhere. Yeah. Gold plated this and that took 300 years to build. Just, just outrageous, man. I made a joke. I was actually just talking about this with my mom this weekend. Um, that's that's funny. Uh, just just saying, like it's funny how like these old churches, like as you're describing them, like 200 years to make them or whatever. Like they're so they're majestical. Like even as someone that's not religious, like myself, when I went over to to, to Europe to go to London and Paris, like I was, oh, yeah. like, I stopped at every church I could see because those are like the most preserved buildings, and that architecture is just fucking awesome. And it's like I wonder in like two 500 years or whatever they're like that culture is looking at like our churches the churches we built and like nowadays they're like cedar creek type churches or like churches in the wild where it's just like a big auditorium you know like it's not it's just like a a modern looking building it's like nothing special it's just so weird to think how that's changed yeah i mean well like back in the day it the purpose of building a church like that was because you were going to the house of god and so you would make it something that is worthy of God, right? Like that was the the prevailing thought. And now it's just like, you know, a couple wooden pews and a nice cross up there and maybe some stations of the cross around the building and some glass stained windows. And there you go. Right. Yeah. It's kind of pathetic. I couldn't walk into a church right now and be like, Oh wow, this was nice. You know, after seeing what I saw, like, dude, like, no man, like I guarantee you people died making that frigging church. Mm-hmm. And they did so so they could build some grand cathedral to house God, essentially. Um, so it was cool, man. And uh, we went to another little city called Zakatlan. Dude, this was one of the coolest parts. I went into this graveyard. Man, we got it all fucked up, dude. They don't, they don't remember the dead. They celebrate the life, bro. They put literal ass houses in the graveyard that that house the remains of all of the family. It's, it's like, oh. a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, like a burial uh, plot, like a mausoleum. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, sort of. Um, but they're, they're all like little like tough sheds <laughs> and they're all unique. They're all different. Everyone's got their own family, whatever in there. And wow. you look in, in the middle and there's like a, a great, the size of a coffin, basically it goes all the way down, like 20 feet down. And on each side of that are slots that you put whoever has passed away. So it's a whole family tomb. Tomb. Wow. That's what's tomb. Um, and yeah, dude, you're just walking around and each one's different and you get to see everyone's story and pictures and, you know, uh, crucifixions and all that up everywhere and big, beautiful. I mean, like un- unreal, unreal. And all we have are these little plots with freaking plaques like man we got that wrong for sure yeah that's cool yeah it was neat ah, enough about me though it was fun you ever get a chance to go down to mexico in that in that part of that country man i recommend it it's very safe um a lot of a lot of cool stuff to see a lot of history hey i mean if we got to do a remote taping from the farm you know i'm i could be swayed homemade corn tortillas sound quite. yeah blue corn tortillas man Ooh. blue corn tortillas i had 10 hot ones at my ready at any time <laughs> just on like a holster at, on your hip yeah <laughs> just just essentially that man like i would have like, like a full stack of tortillas and somebody would come and put a full hot stack into the full stack I'm just oh like, my god you can't say you're good because that's rude are they fat or are they like they work yes. so much. Are they? They're all fat. Well, well, yeah. Okay, so that's a good point. A lot of the people down there in that part, I wouldn't say that they're like super fit, but everybody works all the time. Mm-hmm. Everybody's working always. So they're not like giant obese people. Uh, the diet doesn't really make you fit. So, you know, you get a couple extra pounds. And, you know, Mexico's had a problem with that for sure on the, on the labels of the Coke now or, or the soda, they'll have excessive sugars and calories 
specifically saying this is excessive sugar and calories for kids mm. right there because they got yeah. giant diabetes problems some places in mexico it's easier to buy a coke than it is to buy some fresh water and that's a fact so it's worse than like in america with our obesity oh yeah really oh yeah never mexico that. is super bad like huh. the worst i mean huh. think about their staples man beans rice tortillas it's yeah, grease true. and corn beans <laughs> and rice and meat yeah. and just carbs soda and, out the ass yeah 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 not not good at all i mean my grandmother rest god rest her soul she you know she passed the diabetes and it oh, runs yeah. it runs thick in our fat blood for sure Hmm. But um, yeah, man, Mexico. Glad to hear you had a good time. Very cool. Yes, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Um, and I missed a lot, man. Oh, while I was gone, um, it was kind of mm. nice to check out a little bit. You know, not taking all the news and the problems of the world. I didn't catch much, but I did catch a couple things. One of them being um, the ever-growing fight against critical race theory in our schools. Um, the latest being florida banning critical race theory in our schools um so before we get going on it and why they're doing it we should probably describe what it is um it's a quick description of critical race theory uh, everything in our world is power the distribution of which is meditated by race sample you know broad description asian black white, Hispanic, what have you. Every human construction from governments to homeschool co-ops are embedded in racial structures that fundamentally build or dismantle racism and white supremacy. So you're either building white supremacy or you're dismantling. It's where you get this thing, you know, you're not, you're not, not racist. You're either racist or anti-racist. There's no in-between. We heard a lot of that in the past year. All people, regardless of socioeconomic status, location, or personality cannot help but perpetrate or undermine systems of racial oppression. This is critical race theory in a nutshell. So essentially saying everything is about white supremacy. If you're not fighting white supremacy, you're building white supremacy up. Um, so I want to read you a couple things and get your thoughts on it. Sure. This is a poem. No, excuse me. This is a prayer. It's a prayer from a prayer book. And this prayer book is sold in Target. And somebody had found it in Target. Dear God, please help me to hate black people. Or at least want to hate them. We've heard that story before, right? We've had a history in our country where we... Um, treated black people very poorly. Uh, except she didn't say black people. She said white people. Dear God, please help me to hate white people or at least want to hate them. Um, now, this is a prayer book. This is a little prayer book. Um, if I can read a bit forward. Dear God, please help me to hate white people or at least want to hate them. At least I want to stop caring about them individually and collectively. I want to stop caring about their misguided racist souls to stop believing that they can be better. They can stop being racist. Uh, here's another one. When was that from real quick? Do you know? Yes. The book is called A Rhythm of Prayer, a collection of meditations for renewal. And it's uh, number one on Amazon's Christian meditation, worship, and devotion section. And a New York Times bestseller, I might add. Um, here is uh, an excerpt from Donald Moss, who's a uh, New York City psychoanalyst. Whiteness is a condition one first acquires and then has a malignant parasitic-like condition to which white people have a particular susceptibility. So he's talking about whiteness as a condition, not as being a race. The condition is foundational, generating characteristic ways of being in one's body, in one's mind, and in one's world. Parasitic whiteness renders its host's appetites voracious, insatiable, and perverse. These deformed appetites particularly target non-white peoples. 
Once established, these appetites are nearly impossible to eliminate. Effective treatment costs a combination of psychic and social historical interventions. Such interventions can, can reasonably aim only to reshape whiteness's infiltrated appetites to reduce their intensity, redistribute their aims, and occasionally turn those aims towards the work of reparation. Now, you might be saying, that's fine. These people are out of their rocker. What does it have to do with teaching critical race theory in schools? Well, I will read to you uh, from uh, a, psych a psychiatrist who uh, is talking at Yale University. She used to teach her name uh, is Mrs. Kilani Aruna Kilanani. Kilanani? We'll call her Aruna, Dr. Aruna. She has been a uh, professor at Cornell, Columbia, and New York universities. And she is speaking at the Yale University medical students and faculty. Okay? I have fantasies of unloading a revolver into the head of any white person that got in my way burying their body and wiping my bloody hands as I walked away relatively guiltless with a bounce in my step like I did the world a fucking favor you and I Alex are reasonable adults who can look, listen to these words see them objectively and say that's not right but if you were to replace white people or whiteness with black people or Jews, or women. You understand that there's historical precedent for those ideas, and you know this because it's happened. It's literally the entire 20th century. So critical race theory, when you boil down, is cultural Marxism. Don't take my word for it. G. Van Fleet, who is a parent in uh, the Luden schools, uh, Luden school district in Virginia. They've been in the news previously because they were blacklisting conservative parents and attempting to dox them for not rolling along with critical race theory being taught in their schools. She says to a, uh, to board members at the Luden County school board, uh, district meeting that I've been very alarmed at what's going on in our schools. You're teaching training our children to be social justice warriors and to loathe our country and our history. Why is that important? She goes on. The communist regime in China uses the same critical theory to divide people. The only difference is they use class instead of race. The critical race theory has its roots in cultural Marxism and should have no place in our schools. This is a person who survived Maoist China. If you don't know about Maoist China, it'll take you 30 seconds to Google it and you'll understand just how serious that is. We all think that Hitler was the most terrible person of the 20th century. It, it was Mao and it wasn't even a, uh, it wasn't even a contest. He systematically murdered 30 to 50 million people. We'll never know the right number. Uh, and he did so mostly through starvation in order to reach the cultural means of Marxism as she's speaking of right now. She goes on. They think that they are doing the right thing. Being against racism sounds really good. But they're basically breaking the system that is against racism. I think for a while now, school systems have really put this stuff in the schools right under our very noses, and we just weren't aware. When your kids go to school and you let them go through these doors, you're trusting the school system to do the job that they're supposed to do. And it took a pandemic and all the information that parents could see with this distance learning to understand exactly what is going on and at the very root of it, what really makes me upset where i really think that this deserves a considerable amount of pushback is that you're not teaching children how to think you are teaching them what to think and that is disgusting because these children are not going to grow up with any critical thinking skills of their own whatsoever they're going to be trained in ideology that has no room for growth it's either you're racist or you're not racist it does nothing to help any sort of any sort of racist institutions policies what have you anything that is occurring where we could objectively say hey this is wrong and we need to scrub it out it does nothing good for that at all and it just teaches kids how to think and it does not set them up for success 
And I'm very glad to see that governments, state governments are stepping in and saying, absolutely not. We will not teach this nonsense in our classrooms. So like, for example, what is something from our history that is not allowed to be taught now? Or how is it not allowed to be worded? It's not, it's not about how it's not, it's not about not being able to be taught. It's not that we don't want to teach a great example of this. And, and this is in college, but there's a, a, a college professor who was one of the Ivy League schools who wouldn't teach their students about the Dred Scott decision. If you remember about Dred Scott, Dred Scott, basically the Supreme Court ruled that Dred Scott um, was a slave, therefore not a citizen and didn't have the right to sue, right? It was a terrible decision. Terrible mm-hmm. Supreme Court decision. This professor didn't want to sit up there and explain the entire case because because he was afraid of harming his students' feelings. Him being a white professor and having black kids in his classroom, not wanting to teach that certain thing. Um, it's about teaching that America is rooted in racism and only has racism or or either racist or you're anti-racist there's no in between you can't be quote-unquote colorblind when we went to school what were we taught i have a dream that one day we would look at uh, uh, my children i can't remember the quote for the content of the character not the color of their skin we were taught to be colorblind we were taught to not care about somebody's race color creed we were taught they were that they were our brothers in in citizenship our brother and God, if, if that was, if that was your deal, but we were taught that they were our brothers and sisters because we were all American and that we were past treating each other differently because of race. And this explicitly divides races so that it can combat racism. You know what I'm saying? Like it doesn't, it does, has no place in my head for combating anything racist. At the same time, when I was a kid, I, I can't speak for your school, but I went to a private uh, Catholic school in Ohio I was taught that Christopher Columbus came here and, you know, he sat with all the Indians and or Native Americans and had a, you know, a great feast and a great dinner and they were friends and they taught each other the languages and blah, blah, blah. That wasn't the truth at all. Like that dude came here and slaughtered and stole the homes from thousands, maybe millions of people. And, and like, so like to say that our country wasn't founded or didn't start with a lot of these like fun, like these things of imperialism and racism, like our country is rooted in that for sure. It is like, you can't really say that it's not, it is. Well, you're, you're a hundred percent incorrect about Christopher Columbus and okay. we should have a whole show about him because he's, he's misunderstood. I'm not here to stick up for Christopher Columbus. I don't give a fuck about Christopher Columbus. I don't like that. He's misrepresented nowadays as just some, some big genocidal murderous maniac that is a hundred percent not true it's it's far more complicated than that but not not to pick on that one story at all but i'm I'm saying is our country not founded on coming and claiming another ethnicity another people's land to make it our own and then enslaving people from other countries be it africa be it asia to then build our country for us like, um, and then we fought a whole war based on that. Like I, our history well, is rooted in that. It's interesting because it's, it's like, is that, is that who we are or is that what had happened? And we are who we are today because of the greater, uh, I can never remember that freaking quote whenever I want to source it <laughs> from Abraham Lincoln, the, um, Something of our better angels, the better, the nature of our, I don't know, whatever, because we are, we strive for the highest ideal, regardless of the things that we have done in the past that have been absolutely undeniably terrible. We are the country we are today because we set forth the ideals and we stuck to the principles that allow those ideals to come to fruition so that any one person in this country can do whatever they want. Yes, but we're also the country we are today because someone like Abraham Lincoln stood up for the fact that slavery and the way that the South was was completely wrong. Like, think about what our country would be if we lo- if the North lost the Civil War. Our yeah, country they, would they be didn't. a totally different place that isn't free. But I'm saying, like, you can't... 
if I guess if what I'm understanding you describing this new thing is, is that you can't teach that it was built on slavery, but like it, in a way it definitely was. And if like our country would have lost that, our country would be vastly, vastly different. Like, so you can't just like say like, well, that's like a tarnished part of our history. We shouldn't concentrate on that or the effects that it still has today. Um, you, you can't just throw that away and be like, well, we're all equal where we're at today. We need to move on. Like, I, I guess I, it's in a way that's kind of what I'm hearing. Yeah, no, it's not that simple. And, and I think I think us learning about the, the atrocities of our past was a powerful to- uh, learning tool for us as children. Right. To, to see like, oh, man, that's terrible. Right. Those things shouldn't be thrown by the wayside. I mean, we can't sanitize our history for the sake of somebody's feelings or what have you. What I'm saying is that this particular theory, this, what has come to the mainstream, particularly after the riots of last summer, is that there is a oppressor and a victim always. And in this country, the suppressor is the white man and the, um, or the oppressor is the white man and the suppressed is the person of color or the native or the indigenous or the whatever. And it's always either you're doing something to combat racism. And if you're even just staying in your lane and being neutral, then you are racist by the very fact that you're not combating racism. And what that does undeniably you nobody can sit here and tell me otherwise that that doesn't cause a person of color to think less of themselves because somebody is telling them that they are oppressed always it's to me it's downright abuse to tell somebody a child who has an entire life ahead of them we cannot predict at all to say that you are oppressed because of the, the color of your skin. Like, it's 2021. You don't think that that child could still be feeling effects from things that happened in, in the mid-1800s? I think if you want to talk about things that have happened post-slavery, we can look at very hard evidence about where black people were 100 years after slavery and where they were 30 years after liberalism. And they were way better off a hundred years after slavery than they were 30 years after liberalism. I'm not saying that is a causation is correlation or vice versa. What I'm saying is that you don't get anywhere. You don't provide any sort of positivity to anybody, especially if they're feeling effects of racism as they experience it by continually tell them or telling everybody that they are oppressed, that they are the ones that are, are being uh, pushed down by the man. Where, where is that going to get you? When did we stop giving the message that things are not as good as we'd like them to be, but look where the fuck you are. Look where you came from. Your ancestors had switch marks on their backs because they dropped an egg. And you have every single opportunity to do whatever the fuck you want in this country. And we have stolen that message from a group of people. To me, that's the greatest atrocity. Mm-hmm. You, you can't lift. I, I will never understand the thought process of people who continually try to prove the point that people are oppressed and then claim that they are helping the same group of people that they're talking about. Like, when does that, that has never made sense to me whatsoever. And I think where we get caught up is we want to feel we're good people at the end of the day. A large majority of us are very decent people, regardless of what anybody says. Okay. And we want other people to feel good good, to feel better, to strive, to get more than they have now, especially if we got something, right? We may not have it all, you and I, but we got something, man. And it's hard not to feel guilty about having that something, especially when other people are out there relative to us have very little. But to me, going about it by continually 
driving a point home that somebody is oppressed and somebody isn't, isn't doing anyone any good. And, and, and that is, that is what, at the end of the day, that's what this, that's what we're teaching our children here. Um, and I, I hate that it's okay to be racist against white people because they're white people. You, of all those things that I was talking about today, you replace any of those words with any other historically suppressed group and you know what happens. It's not okay, not because it's white people, it's racist and it's not okay. I don't care who we're talking about. It's not okay. I've had conversations with a lot of people that say you can't be racist towards a white person. And I, I've always disagreed with that in a way, but like, um, some, some arguments I've heard are, are somewhat compelling to that. Just uh, pretty much backing up this, this race theory is just like, kind of like you said, like a hundred years ago or, you know, 200, 300 years ago when there was slavery and, and, you know, look, you're talking to black people like look how far you've come since your ancestors are getting beat by switches for dropping an apple but like who is holding that switch like and who has continued even after slavery ended to hold the proverbial switch of power in america and it's been white people for a long time that's shifting and and now you're seeing way more diversity all over the place because you're right we live in a country where you can do anything you can be anything you want to be but I think on the whole, when you look at crime statistics, when you look at poverty statistics and, and employment statistics, like they will back up that although there is ample and supposedly equal opportunity for so many people in the country, those statistics would dictate otherwise that like this population is at a disadvantage when you compare it to another population. Now, whether that's because of uh, what they're being told at the source, what they're experiencing in their everyday life. Or, you know, just straight up racism in a lot of different things in our communities and in our everyday world. But like, I, I would say that there, especially in the cities, there's like an inherent difference in a lot of those communities that like, it makes it hard for me to not think that like, there is something to that race theory that like is true, although it may not be good to teach it to kids and like form that idea in their head. I don't think that that philosophy is entirely wrong because white people have always been in power in this country and they still, I would say, are the majority of power in this country. They hold a majority of the wealth in this in this country. So I, I don't know. I, I see I see what you're saying, but I also think at the same time that there's you're going to have a family here and you're going to you're going to have white kids. Yes. Would you like them to go to a school that told them from the jump that because they're white, they're racist? They may not know it, they may not see it, but they're racist. You think it's taught that it's not taught that way? Oh, brother. How that's what so they say like is, you're a racist already. They classify people? I don't think that's how it would be taught. I think it would just be like our country was founded by these people was founded by slave owners that that used other people and and for whatever reason that was the times, that was just the world. Um, but like, I think they'll be like, this is what's happened through the years. These are the people that have been in power. They used Asian black people to like build the railroads, build their plantations, build these huge industries that are still around today. And like, you know, that has changed. There were great people like Abraham Lincoln and, you know, wars that were fought over it and, you know, we're coming a long way, but it's still a problem in our country. I think it's taught more than that than just like, Hey, you're a white kid. You're a racist. I, I don't think that that's how it would be framed. It used to be taught like that. This entire, this entire whole, the only reason we're talking about this right now mm -hmm. is because it explicitly takes groups of people and it ranks them by their oppression and it holds white people, white people. Who the fuck are white people? Yeah, it's, You're a, it's white pretty people. general. They're white people. My mom's white. My dad's Mexican. Am I a white person? Yeah, I don't know. What it tries to do culturally is subvert it so that it's, this guy was talking about whiteness, right? It, well, it couldn't come, couldn't come from anything else but white people, but he's talking about whiteness, right? And participating in whiteness. It takes groups of people and segregates them by race. First of all, there's no fucking races, right? Races are used by racists to further pursue their racist agenda you me and anybody else with a, with a ton of melanin in their skin or zero melanin in their skin same fucking person there are no races it's it's purely division well sure, I, yeah I know but what you're you, okay <laughs> you, you can say there's no races 
but there's definitely ethnicities. So you could call it ethnicityism. There's if you cultures. Want. There's culture. Yeah. So like there's there is cultures. a dividing thing always. Yes. You know, maybe True. not race, but no, there's cultures. It's always about culture. That's all it's ever been about. So, I mean, you know, you could talk about the, the plight of the people who are the most impoverished in this country. And I think if you took, if you took a look from a 30,000 foot view, I think you can make a much better case that where we are today between the division of the lowest and the highest and whatever the middle class is, is that we have stopped holding people to a certain standard. That is undeniable. We have allowed for the propagation of, how do you want to say it? Entitlements, maybe, um, you know, safety nets, what have you, in, the, in, in, a good, in a good name, all so that we could help propel people up forward. And in that, we've allowed for this kind of theory to be taught in our schools before we even focus on the literacy rate. How well can this kid do math? Can they even read? But we put, in a, we put the importance on how we think about our history. And it's not about hey, can we give these kids the most tools that we possibly could and make sure that they are so well equipped to think on their own as, we go, as they go into the world? I feel like that's how you and I were taught. I went to public school as a kid up until high school, okay? I was fortunate because my brother was a genius. So I had to go to schools that could facilitate his genius. I was not a genius. I was a regular-ass kid. So I had to go to these other schools. They were public schools. I was held to a standard by my parents and by my school that I needed to learn this by this grade and this by that grade and this by that grade. So much in our schools nowadays, that's fallen by the wayside. And you know very well where you're at in Chicago, it's the absolute worst. And we're not focusing on teaching kids how to think. We're teaching them what to think. And that is a travesty for those children. If, if you're illiterate, what does it, what does it matter if, if, if we're a goddamn racist country? Do you know what I mean? Like, and you can't even, you haven't, you've been failed by this system. And I don't know if it's because of the color of your skin or not. I think it's because we've stopped, we have stopped holding people to account at a high level. And we have allowed for different levels of people to go because of this or because of that because we feel sorry for where they come from or this that and the other i think the greatest way to respect anybody regardless of your race color creed whatever hold you to the the highest standard possible and hold everybody to the highest standard because then everybody's on the same playing field yeah and i think to touch on your point like i some public schools are definitely better than other ones like i think that like the best way to attack this problem is to address the education like in our country as a whole and hold it to standards that must be oh, maintained yes. no matter what demographic you're teaching or where what location it's at like public schooling should not be like significantly worse than a lot of private schooling in, in, oh, yeah. the, in the country and like if we can address 100%. that and like give a lot of these inner city communities whether they're white black mexican or otherwise the same education that maybe these kids are close to what these kids in private schools are getting like that that's going to solve this issue i totally agree with you there totally oh, yes. agree I got a real big wake up call in 2000, 2016. And I saw where America ranked globally in mm -hmm. education on the whole. Do you know where they were? <laughs> Not even like, in the top 25. Oh, yeah. 26th. Wow. wow. There's no reason. There is literally no reason why we shouldn't be number one. Yeah. And we're getting in our own damn way about it. Yeah, I agree with mm -hmm. you, man. When you look at that and you're like, oh, where do you fix the country? Uh, the answer's right in front of your face. The next generation of kids are stupid. 
They're not better than 25 other countries in this country or in this world. And you want to know where we start to fix the problem? But yeah, who's talking about that? Who right. wants to fix the schools? There's too much money in it, man. There's too, there's too many teachers unions. That, that's why, and I don't know why it's a controversial issue. It, it, uh, we always have to polarize shit. School choice, for whatever reason, is a Republican conservative idea. I don't know why. A lot of Republicans and a lot of conservatives back school choice. I couldn't tell you why. Will you go into detail about what school choice is? School, it's, uh, so you set up a charter school that is not part of the district, the school district in which it resides, right? So like I'm in San Diego proper, the city. If somebody were to set up a charter school down the street, while they would have this more or less the same standards of like kids going through that school, they are not adherent to the San Diego Unified School District's curriculum. Uh, okay. They okay. teach based off of their budget and however they feel is best for them to facilitate the children's education in that neighborhood. It's a great thing for schools in low income neighborhoods because if you are going to a public school in your neighborhood, it's the dollars spent at that school are dictated by the property taxes of the homes. That's why rich neighborhoods have better schools and poor neighborhoods have worse schools because of that money. And so school choice is an incredible thing. And the reason it gets so much pushback is because of unions, because there's so much money to be made in being in a union, a teacher's union, especially if you're in power. So if you want to, if you want to target your, uh, angst, if you're out there and you're pissed off, if you're a parent and you want to target your angst against anybody, you go to your, your teacher's union and you tell your school board that or you go to your school board and you tell them that this teacher's union needs to go and you raise hell. And if you need a charter school in your neighborhood then you raise hell about that too. I wouldn't recommend anybody put their kid in public schools, especially with this shit going on. It's a broken system, man. It's a broken system. They don't focus on anything about helping kids. It's all about power. It's all about politics. It's all about semantics. It's a broken bureaucratic system that needs to be tore down from the ground up and built right mm -hmm. back up. I, I think there's a lot of teachers that would agree with that too. If you're one of those teachers, write in, let us know. The only other thing I'd say about that is I'm interested to see how they will talk about civil war Nazi Germany, like all these things in our past that were I don't know, like racist and I, you know, where racism played into them or, you know, imperialism played into them. How, how is that going to be taught now? Because it sounds like you're not allowed to like hint at the fact that white people thought they were better than black people at the time. Oh, I think that's all they want to teach. That that's how it was at the time. That's not how well, it is today. It. That no, that it's a, yeah, that it's always been about power. That's always been about power. And that, like you said, like you said today, if you look on the whole, white people hold positions of power more than any other, yeah, any other ethnicity, right? So the prevailing theory is that it's always about power, and. If you're not working to tear down white supremacy in the way it's described in critical race theory being because all these people in power are white, then they are advancing the cause of the white man, then you are in fact racist. And I'm sure that a, a something like the Civil War will be used to further strengthen that position to say, oh, look it. You don't think it's about power? It's been about power since they were slaves. They were fighting to not free the slaves. And even when they did free the slaves, this, this, and this, and this, this, and that. Right. Um, you know, I don't know. Uh, to me, it, it, it's hard. It's a hard pill to swallow, and I, wouldn't, I will never go without fighting the idea that regardless of the sins of this country, it was, it was built based on the ideal of freedom and that up until very, very recently, um, that has still been the prevailing thought of the masses. Even if there was something in power that we didn't agree with or that went against the idea of freedom, for example, slavery, 
women not being able to vote until the early 1900s, whatever it was. We dismantled all that. We got rid of that shit. To the point now, we're like, how much more free could you be? Unless we went in and literally gave you everything as a country, as a government, gave it to you. Right. Freedom is responsibility, which is why most men abhor it. Freedom isn't free. It costs a buck or nine. Mm. Who said that? Uh, Trey Parker, I think. Trey Parker? From Team America. Yeah. You don't remember that song? Freedom mm. isn't free. It costs folks like you and me. It's a good song. Great movie. I need to rewatch it. It's been a little while. Has been a little while. Well, the fourth is coming up. There's no greater <laughs> exactly. occasion. Uh, another thing that happened while we were out and about um, living our lives was that the FDA approved the first drug in 18 years that attacks uh, Alzheimer's and dementia. Oh, no way. And it did. And it is a hot topic um, because a lot of people think that it was rushed, think there's not enough data to back it up. And uh, yeah, a lot of fighting going on. The like drug it's a is money grab? It could, yeah, potentially. Uh, it's not like an entirely super expensive drug. I think I, I saw that like to to hop onto a trial of it, it's like sixty grand a year, um, of which I'm sure insurance would That's cover some of that. No, that, I mean, I mean, it is. It's it's not cheap, but it's not like a Martin Shkreli, you know, taking advantage of people. Expensive, you know what I mean? It's it's yeah. it's reasonable within the cost of healthcare in this country right now. Um, and, uh, so just, just kind of looking into it. The last time they approved a drug for this disease was in 03. Wow. So it's been 18 years since we've come up with a therapeutic for Alzheimer's. Yeah. Wow. That's right. crazy. Right. So, and that this company is trying to do something about that. They've been developing this for a long time. Uh, in the United States, Alzheimer's affects more than 6 million adults aged 65 years or older. It's the most common cause of dementia and the sixth leading cause of death in this whole country. So wow. it, it's, it's a big problem that we're facing. I know several people that, are, that have had it. Um, not, not a good disease. It's, it's really, really sad to watch. Um, after diagnosis, they say senior patients live about four to eight years on average. And, you know, during that time, slowly but surely, you, you kind of forget everybody and anyone in your life, your memories. Yeah, what kind of life is it anyway, honestly? Yeah. So it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a really hard disease. So this company, I, I give them credit for trying to help these people. Um, they say that the drug that has been developed eliminates the toxic form of a protein called beta amyloid. And this protein accumulates in the brains of Alzheimer's and dementia patients and basically disrupts communication between your brain cells, which is what causes you to forget everything. Um, in the clinical trial data evaluated by the FDA, this drug effectively reduced amyloid protein buildup in the brain, and it showed signs of marginal cognitive decline, uh, which like slows the spread of that all, all of that protein building up. Um, in the 80s, scientists examined the DNA of Alzheimer patients and discovered mutations in a gene that produces the beta amyloid protein. Genetic mutations cause beta amyloid to form abnormal clumps called plaques that accumulate on your brain and, like I said, blocks the brain cells from talking to each other. Um, these guys in 2015, uh, you know, had some early evidence that suggested that their drug got rid of these these plaques, these buildups, um, and, and it showed, if nothing else, a, a slower decline mm -hmm. in cognitive function, which allowed, you know, when you know the average being four to eight years maybe becomes 10 to 15 or you know something more manageable something where they have more time with their loved ones and you know maybe in, in a time when something else could be developed to further help this cause sure so sure. so it just so it just delays the effects that are at least that's what they're claiming it does yeah. So yeah, and based on that research that they found in 2015, uh, Biogen, which is the company that developed this drug, um, they set it's up two. Though. Are they? Mm -hmm. Oh, that's cool. I didn't even know that. Uh, they set up two larger identical clinical trials called Engage and Emerge, and uh, 
basically they had 3,300 participants, uh, patients that had like mild cognitive impairment or mild dementia due to Alzheimer's. And they either received a placebo or a low slash high dose of this drug, uh, like a monthly intravenous infusion. So it was one or the other. And both studies went on for about four years and they were discontinued in March of 2019 uh, after an independent data analysis uh, basically indicated that these are futile. We're not seeing results. Um, yada, yada, yada. It's, it, even though it cleared these deposits, which they can statistically prove and show, it didn't stop or slow this decline. Um, so at this point, we're wasting money. This isn't working. The studies failed. However, recently, the company reanalyzed this data in October of 2019, hoping you know that there was, their efforts and all this research wasn't futile. Uh, included additional data from the time the interim data analysis began through the data when the trial was terminated. And the analysis showed that patients in the eMERGE trial uh, who were on, this was the side where they were given the higher low doses of the drug. Uh, for, the, for the patients that were given the high doses, they showed a 22% slower cognitive decline over 18 months compared to the ones that just got like placebo. Um, and this, nothing like this happened on the other side, the engage where, where they were given the placebo. So, you know, everyone was like, oh, well, maybe there's something to this. Maybe there's something to this. And uh, last November, a independent panel that advises the FDA rejected the drug, basically saying that there's insufficient evidence to really show what uh, Biogen's trying to, you know, what they're saying is, is the case after this other independent study, and also saying that the drug has some really scary side effects. It said 35% of all the patients experience painful brain swelling, and in some cases, bleeding on the brain, which can be, especially in older patients, death very quickly. So yeah, it doesn't sound like fun. Yeah. So even with all of this, like being said, all this stuff out there, um, on June 7th, defying its own advisories committee, the FDA granted the drug accelerated approval, similar to that of like the vaccine. A vaccine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. What the so, hell is that about? So it, it's been a really hot topic. Three members of their FDA uh, advisory panel have resigned as a result, just saying like, this is ridiculous. This should not have been approved. We we don't want to be connected to this at all. Obviously, all people that voted against it. Um, wow. But the FDA is saying that this type of approval is intended to provide early access to potentially valuable therapies for patients with serious diseases where there is an unmet need and where there's an expectation of clinical benefit despite some re- residual uncertainty. So like basically like people that really need it or really residual want to try it, test it out, they can go and, and do this treatment. Um, but... I mean, <laughs> I'm sorry, your husband passed away due to a bleeding brain or residual uncertainty. Yeah, exactly. What the fuck? We've talked about this on the show previously about pharma, right? Um, it's a, a giant industry that is worth many tens of billions of dollars. A, a drug like this takes. If it's been going on for five years, I got to imagine it's in the hundreds of millions of dollars of investment, right? Yeah. All it takes is one FDA, like they like, like they did in 2019, one FDA rejection, and all of that money spent in hopes of an Alzheimer's breakthrough is now down the drain. People get very rich yeah. on pharmaceuticals, and they should because the FDA is so stringent on how they allow drugs to be approved. This seems very fishy. This seems like there's some money play involved. Like somebody has a very uh, pointed interest in this drug being approved. Can I add fodder to that fire for you? Please. The FDA has let them know, Biogen, that they have until... 2029 to complete another clinical trial to confirm the drug's benefits for Alzheimer patients. So they have eight years to prove uh-huh. that they're right. Basically. But it's approved mm. already. <laughs> wow. It's like, I don't think it'll be widely distributed until maybe 2029 when they could or couldn't prove it. But it's like, why do you need eight more years to prove that? Like Some people are arguing. They're like, basically... 
a third clinical trial that was identical to what they did with this mm -hmm. engage and emerge would have been a better way forward to figure out what what's the real answer here and you know maybe give it a year or two years or whatever right that's why what i thought was eight coming. more years yeah why do you need eight <laughs> years to now prove it like that's here's the only thing i can think of when you're talking about alzheimer's it's obviously a terrible disease yeah. rapidly degenerates the brain if you and your family are sitting in your doctor's office your dad doesn't remember your name and the doctor's like hey listen he's in bad shape there's a drug out there it's very experimental it's been approved at fda on some limited basis and we're not even really sure if it's going to stick uh it's available to your father we don't know if it'll help or it'll hurt. Would you like to try it? That's the only thing I could think of is because a drug like Alzheimer's, if you're I'm not, I, I, I want to stop short of saying like they're doing human experiments. Uh, they're not. But like when you get a drug into a late stage clinical trial like this, you kind of need these patients, right? Like if you're developing some blood cancer drug, and you need to try it on a patient, you're probably not going to get somebody who's in like the first stages of their cancer who can get some sort of therapeutic. You're probably going to get some like stage four cancer, like right. it's trying either anything. this or death and you're probably going to die anyway, but let's give it a Hail Mary. You know, that's the right. only justification I could think about on this. Um, but it, I don't know, man, it's shaky. It's, it just smells fishy, you know? It smells fishy, and it's just a little scary, given that they have had six years to do this and got this rush approval, and it's like they developed a vaccine in like a year and got rush approval. But I did see another vaccine came out today that is 100% effective against the original coronavirus, which I don't think any of them have been up to this point. It's like they're high 90s. They're all 100% effective against... They're all 100% effective against hospitalization and death. Correct, but um, like this one's saying it's 100% effective... Against getting like it. contracting it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. I, the other ones have been like 93, 96. Um, but yeah, this one, I, th I think Johnson & Johnson was only like 88 or Which something like that. bears repeating. If it's 93% effective against you contracting the coronavirus, doesn't mean that you have a 7% chance of contracting the coronavirus. It means that you have a 7% chance of the percentage of chance that you had if you didn't get the vaccine which was already minuscule yeah. so by getting the vaccine you have like a point zero 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 one these aren't official numbers but that gets confused a lot it's a point seven chance of the chance that you had of contracting it anyway which was i forget how how low it was but anyways very very small um very small um it was a really quick hour today um before we go we need to remind all of our listeners out there that drinking a good, smooth cup of coffee is a treat all by itself. But here, here. when it helps American heroes like veterans and first responders, it's that much better. Our sponsor, who we're very glad to have a part of the program, Gun Barrel Coffee, is proud to donate $1 from every single item purchased towards veterans and first responder charities all across our great country. From their medium blend, the Moab, their Double Dark, the Battleship, and even their CBD-infused blend, the Medic. All their coffees are smooth without that acid and bitterness. Quite delicioso. I've been drinking the Moab myself. Been quite caffeinated. Uh, which one have you been drinking on? The I just got done with the Space Force. I opened up the Moab Space today. Force. It's delicious. Ooh, nice. Yeah, I'm finishing the Moab, I think, tomorrow or the next day, and then jumping to the Space Force. Um, and now... They are proud to announce that they have their very own hot sauce called the Big Guns, and I've been eating it a lot lately. It's it's really good, actually. It's like a habanero, red peppery. See, very, very mas good. picante. Yes, it's good. Uh, they offer 14 different blends and roasts, which you can get in whole bean, ground, or in single-serve K-Cups. Uh, right now, as a friend of this ship, you can use promo code FNH10, and you will save 10% at checkout when you buy their coffee or any of their products at GunBarrelCoffee.com. Gun Barrel Coffee, damn good coffee, damn good cause. Indeed. Um, you can find us many places on Twitter at FriendshipNH, on Instagram at FriendshipNewsHour, 
and you can send us a lovely email at bummerdude.media at gmail.com, bummerdude.media at gmail.com. That is our time. Go with God, Alex. <laughs> have you, uh, how's, actually, real quick, have you been watching Handmaids? Have you guys yes. been? We are now on season four episode. Damn, you went quick? Dude, yes. It was an addiction, <laughs> legit. I was texting well, Jacqueline, like, hey, can you come over? She's like, oh, you want me? Like, nah, I just want to watch this show. <laughs> I can't watch it without you or else you'd kill me. Um, yeah, well, season four, episode three or four or something like that, yeah. Okay. I think I'm at like six or something, but it's it's pretty good. There's only four seasons. Oh, okay. You're on season four, though. Yeah. Yeah, episode okay. episode six. So okay, I've, nice. we've been slacking. Um, but um, under his eye. Until next under time. Under his eye. Let's be the fruit. <laughs> <laughs>